Welcome to the Right Now Show. This show is all about inspiring our generation, people in their 20s, to go out and actually go for your dream, to find out what your purpose and your mission in life is. And I know that you listening, you are capable of so much more than you can possibly imagine. And I want you to go out and I want you to make that happen. And on this show, we're going to bring on people that have inspired us, that are absolutely just crushing it in life and have overcome insane odds. And this show is called The Right Now Show because the only thing that is truly real is this moment. Let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Today, we got Andy Naylor on the show. He's a fat loss and transformation expert. He's changed over a 1,000 people's lives. Um, if you could just go on his Instagram and scroll down, like you can just see all the transformations. It's, it's, uh, it's really incredible. Um, welcome to the show, man. Zach, pleasure, dude. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, you, you kind of forget after a while, technically, how many people's lives you've hopefully positively changed. Because um, uh, obviously, I don't scroll back down my own Instagram too too, too often. Uh, but yeah, thanks for the introduction. Absolute pleasure to be here. Hope I can lend a little bit of hopefully interesting perspective into a few things for you and your audience. Yeah, man. So I want to start with your backstory. Like, what were what were you like when you were when you were say you know in your twenties and your in your in your mid twenties? Uh, okay. So at that particular time in my life, I, I, I was a semi-professional DJ, interestingly in the UK. So I played, um, a style of music called hard house, which is not particularly well known. Uh, at the time it was particularly cool, trendy, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. so I was a semi-professional DJ. So I was playing up and down the country, um, you know, partic- quite successful in that, but it's not a very healthy lifestyle just to be super clear. Like it, you know, I'm playing at like sort of three, four in the morning, traveling around, sleep disrupted. It's horrific. So in my 20s, I had absolutely, I was not into fitness. I was not healthy. Um, I was sort of trying to find direction. Um, I was doing something at the time, which I loved. I was, when, you know, when someone says, oh, go follow your passion, right? Which is right. a ridiculous thing. My passion at the time was DJing. I was pretty good at it. Um, I kind of got into it a bit late, I guess. And I knew it was never going to be, it was never going to be a career. It was never going to actually be the thing that sort of led me to any kind of financial freedom. And I wasn't even thinking about that at the time. So at 25, yeah, very, very different, I guess, to who I am now. Um, yeah, no direction, no idea that I wanted to own a business, but, you know, be a CEO and a company, um, go down a fitness route. None of that had happened by that particular point. So very, very different. Um, I guess the transition at some, I don't remember the year, but at some particular point, I'm like, okay, I, DJing's not going to work. I need to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, first thing I need to do is get fit and healthy because I'm, I'm asthmatic as well. Um, and I was just getting to the point where I was waking up in the middle of the night, couldn't breathe, and I'm like, I need to do something. And um, first thing I did was just get on a bike and ride that, which a friend had given me. And then the same friend was like, oh, I'm doing a martial arts, something called Jeet Kune Do. I just want to come along. So I went along and basically got the, 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 you know, <laughs> the crab kicked out of me for uh, a few <laughs> years. But ultimately got really into that and rose up through that to being a, a brown belt in Jeet Kune Do. But at the same time, I was kind of getting into the gym. And then it was like, well, it needs, I kind of thought it needs to be one or the other. And so I went down the gym route. That's like 20 years ago or something. I don't know. It's quite a long time ago now. Um, so I kind of got into the, the, the gym route and, and, and essentially fell in love with that. Certainly wasted about the first five years of my time in the gym because I had no, no, no direction no knowledge, no understanding of really what I was doing. I was just copying everyone else in the gym and not really making much progress. And naturally just started to educate myself. Um, to fast forward a little bit from that, um, 
work life had changed quite a lot. I'd, I'd, I'd been given an insane opportunity by one particular business owner who I was in his business and doing, like, I was actually picking and packing. Like it was, a, for me, it was a soul destroying job, like li- literally soul destroying. Someone in the office left, they were a salesperson. For whatever reason, the boss was like, hmm, I think I'm gonna give you a chance selling. And I'm like, I've got no idea what this means, but yeah, it gets me out of that place over there, I'll come and do it. So he took me into office and and sort of, he bought, he bought me a suit. I remember him buying me a suit and a, and a shirt and said, right, we're and he taught me how to essentially the ethics, not the ethics, the frameworks of selling. And that one thing, if I, I, can, I can nearly rewind all the progress and success of the last 20 odd years to that one moment. Because if that hadn't happened, I'm sure something else would have happened, but if that hadn't happened, yeah. that's to me, I can literally see that as a fork on the tree that goes off in one direction where then I got into selling. I then got into selling inside newspapers. I then worked for like daily newspapers. I then worked my way up through that. Managing teams became a whole newspaper, like a daily newspaper floor sales manager. That's 24 people. Became pretty good at that. Then my wife and I decided to open a company. She's a lifelong hairdresser, very, very good at that. We joined forces. We're like, let's open a hairdressing company. We did that. We accelerated that really quickly. We opened it in 2008. We had two venues. Um, the thing was turning over like half a mil a year. Yay. But costing half a mil a year to run. Boo. So we're like, hmm, something's not working here. So we ended up closing that company, but that was already then the start of, hmm, let's see what else we can do on our own. And of course, the moment we shut the company, we had technically made ourselves both uh, redundant. My wife continued to uh, work as hairdressing. I had nothing to do. I had no clue. And she said to me, look, you seem to like the gym. Why don't you PT people? I was like, Aha. and that, and all of a sudden, yeah. now that's what's got me to this point. So it's interesting when you look back, you can kind of go exactly yeah. to where certain, th- certain things happen. But I guess in terms of, yeah, from obviously from where I was at 25 to a very, very short um, synopsis of getting here, that's kind of what it looked like, yeah. So yeah, back then, like, how did you, how did you find out so much about fitness? Like back then, you, were you just reading books? Did you have some mentors, coaches, stuff like that? So at the beginning, I had no particular mentors. Um, I took it upon myself to educate myself as I still do yeah. now. I think it's our own responsibility to educate ourselves in whatever the thing we want to learn. Too many people come out of school, schooling, where you're told you have to learn. And so people come out of school like, ah, done with that now. I've learned everything. You know nothing when you can. In fact, at any point through your life, I technically think you know nothing because the more you learn, the more you realize, the less you know. That's for sure. So I I just went, uh, I guess, looking for people who I believed had good knowledge. And I guess, so this was even before, well, I think it was literally kind of the start of the internet, which makes me sound so old. That's really funny. But... (laughs) You know, people, so to begin with, it was magazines. It was, you know, fitness-based magazines, like probably a lot of people, you know, I was spending a lot of time in them. And as soon as, you know, really the internet and, you know, uh, quality people got on there and, and then eventually podcasts, I would say technically a huge amount of my technical knowledge as a coach has come from podcasts because one, I'm not a great reader. I can, I can read, but my, the book has to be exactly what I want at exactly that time. Yeah. You don't really know until you're a bit in it, right? So mm-hmm. A huge amount of my technical knowledge as a, as a coach, as a fitness coach, has come from podcasts. I used to walk and do so much cardio, you know, for, for, for getting ready for shows and things like that. But I had a lot of free time. And so I would spend it just consuming as much information and knowledge from podcasts as I could. And I think 
that is where most of my knowledge has come from um, and still is. It's just that now I tend to sort of listen to business-based podcasts um, yeah. a bit more than fitness ones, but the idea is still the same. It seems to be that that's For how sure. I found that I soak up the information best, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, did you do like a bodybuilding show or a powerlifting show or anything like that? Yeah. So at the ripe old age of 37, uh, I did have a coach by this point. So I decided, so now, now I'm kind of PTing and I decided, right, well, I, I need to give myself and my business credibility. So how can I do that? Well, I need to get in the best shape possible. What does that entail? Ah, let's go and do a show. I had not a clue what was going on. Um, so I had a coach who's uh, you know, has been a dear friend, I haven't spoken to for a while, but I still class as a very dear friend. Um, and he took me through my first prep for a show. And it was a case of, look, you're either going to do one or you're not. In it, doing one will set you apart. And I was like, okay. And I put myself in his hands and we had 11 weeks to get ready for a show. And it was a pure elite show. I think I was 37. Um, and it was, uh, so it's like a fitness modeling show rather than a bodybuilding gotcha. show. Um, and I was in, the, I think, Masters Men's, I forget the actual name of the category, but it was certainly Masters, it was over 35, so I remember that, and I was 37. Okay. So it was my first ever show, and I won it, which is about the most insane experience you could possibly ever imagine, because you've got no idea what you're walking into. You're, like, you're scared. Scared's the wrong word. Anxious, probably. Uh, leading up to it, tired, hungry, no, no idea what's really going on. And and I remember they called everyone back to the front and I was the last name to be called. In other words, I was the last person standing at the back and sort of walked to the front and I'd won it. And um, it was a very, very surreal, like going to your first show, winning it. I then got uh, their pro card, went on to go and do their their uh, world final at the O2 in London about three weeks later. It's November by this point, so it's freezing cold. It's, it was it was It was a challenge. Uh, so that was my first show. Um, I then decided, hmm, this is pretty good. I seem to have done quite well. I'm going to disappear now for a year and a half and try and put on as much muscle as possible, which is exactly what I did. And somewhere between 37 and 39, I think it was like 14 months, I went and seriously tried to put on as much muscle as I could and put on a fair amount and then went to do um, another prep for another show called in the, so called the PCA, which is possibly one of the highest level um, federations in the UK. And I was going to do men's physique. So like the board short category, which is quite ironic because my legs are my best body part, but I'm not big enough to compete with other people in bodybuilding. So I went to do a British qualifier, won that. Um, and that was, that's easily the best shape I've ever been in. It was the most muscular. Uh, it was by far, I was near on fatless by that point. Um, and got to, uh, would have got to the British final, but I had to pull out due to stomach issues. So mm. issues with digestion and, and acid reflux and, and water, all sorts of bits and th pieces cascaded over themselves. And I was like, okay, I, 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 need, I need to pull back out of this. And that was the last time I competed. So that would have been quite a while ago. Uh, decided then, I was going to go off and do it again. I was actually going to go off and compete in classic, uh, uh, classic physique because uh, I put on so much more muscle. My legs are a good body part, uh, but decided the business took priority. I've, you know, at that point, I'm like, okay, we're an international business. We've got 28 people in the company. My focus needs to be on that. Um, I can go off and do a photo shoot, which I'm probably going to do, which isn't obviously the level of having to compete. But it, the one thing I would say about competing for anyone considering it is competing and getting a little plastic trophy or a little whatever trophy is, is great. It's mm -hmm. not the reason. It's the lessons you learn about yourself upon the journey. Right. The things that I learned while prepping for a show about what I was capable of the suffering I was capable of enduring, the, the the lengths I would go to, the amount of times I could say no or, you know, 
it's it, the amount of time and effort and energy that's put into a prep is ridiculous. For the reward, it's ridiculous. But you then take what you're capable of, and then I just put it into other areas of my life, and they level up fast. So if there's you know if there's people out there listening and thinking. Hmm, I'm kind of pretty good. I'm kind of into fitness. I kind of think I want to do a show. There's so many shows now. They're, you know, they're, they're all over the place. Um, they're very accessible, lots of different categories. Do it for the right reasons if you're going to do it, but the lessons that you can pull back out of that and then apply to the rest of your life, that's the reason. That's, that's the main thing I take. Yeah, I've got my trophies. Yeah, I've got stage pictures and so on and so forth. But the lessons I learned of what I was capable of, that's, what's, that's what stayed with me for sure. Yeah, it's really about that journey, that mountain that you're climbing, right? Um, now, what 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 is the process like when when you go into like prep um, for this competition? Like, what is prep like? I know I know it's it's crazy, it's uh, it's drooling. You, know, you you have to get you know you, you know uh, dehydrated and all that kind of stuff. Like, what's that like? So there's there's uh, phases to it, I guess. So I started yeah. the prep for the last show about sixteen weeks out. I would, and I've prepped other people for shows well, way more than I've done shows myself, and had way you know people people win other shows more than I won my own. But the the goal is is you know prep further out than you think you need to, but you should be in the right place to start. So in other words, physically ready, emotionally ready, financially ready, like ready on every level possible. Every as many ducks as possible should be in the row, because if they're not, that you'll get found out as you go through it. So ultimately, it's pretty simple. The goal is this. Maintain as much muscle as possible, drop as much fat as possible. Essentially, that's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the way in which you go about that is, is you should start a prep with as many calories in as you can. So obviously we're finishing a bulking or massing phase or maybe a maintaining phase and calories should be high, output should be relatively low, training volume should be, I'd say medium at that point. And all we're doing over time is slowly reducing calories coming in, slowly increasing expenditure and monitoring recovery and volume of training to make sure that we keep as much muscle as much muscle mass as possible that's it essentially now inside that there's loads of other things going on you know some people are challenged with of course actually sticking to diets some people like i'm kind of one of the persons who i go into things way too quickly i'm like off like a i'm off like a you know bull in a china shop and any coach i've had is like wee woo slow down because mm -hmm. i'm like off which is great because it feels awesome at the start but you've got to, the only goal is one get over the finish line get on the stage and right. let's say let's say 15 people step on stage there would have been another 15 20 30 people who looked at the show and thought they might want to do it but they either didn't start, they quit, or they they just couldn't make it to the end. So the fifteen odd people that walk on stage, they would they're, they're all, sounds corny, but they're already winners because they've probably beaten another thirty people who never made it. True. The goal is cross the finish line and get on the stage. So of course, as this is going, the actual prep part, it's just you know you're trying to get as much you're trying to get all body fat depending on the category, but ultimately you're trying to get as much body fat as possible. You need to be as lean as possible and. Some people tend to think that's like oh we you know three percent. Um, technically, I think if you were th I technically think if you're at three percent body fat, you're possibly dead. I think I've definitely read that somewhere. <laughs> okay. People people are like oh I need to get to zero percent body fat. I'm like no no you'll be dead. I think I don't think you can't, a human body can't get there. I right. think I was maybe in the six six or seven percent, but I didn't even bother looking at body fat percentage. I used to mm -hmm. caliper measure the fattest part of me, which for most men will be lower back, upper hip region, most people, most men. And I would caliper measure that in millimeters. And if that area was getting less each week, I was getting leaner. That's all that mattered. It was, a, it was, a, 
It was as simple as that. The goal is keep things simple. So, uh, and then of course you get to the end and you're now starting, you're now starting to sort of, you know, you're pretty lean, hopefully very lean, but also you've been practicing posing because there's no point. I've seen amazing physiques walk on stage and be completely unable to present it and not do well. They just look rubbish. They haven't put time into the presentation, the posing, and they look awful. I've seen average physiques win shows because their presentation is fantastic. They're amazing to watch the way that they move. It's, it's an art. It's when the two come together that you get something pretty special, which is when you look on a, a, a pro stage, you know, you see a pro yeah. bodybuilder or physique athlete, they look like they're, they're just supposed to be there. That is a, hours of practice for most people so you get to the end and by this point now what you want to try and do is is have a practice of carving up so there's a process to go through yes dehydration for some people and then by this point maybe adding carbs back in to get a full look on stage but mm. what i was trying to do with a, an athlete and what i've ever tried to do with myself is try and get maybe two weeks before the end and practice that not just hope that you get it right at the end because hoping yeah. is, is, a, is a wish but practice that carving up phase and go, okay, you know, do I need 400 carbs? Mm, that wasn't enough. Do I need 600? Mm, that wasn't quite enough. Do I need a thousand? Mm, that was too much. I look a bit weird. Okay. And then you've yeah. got an idea. Oh, it's probably going to be about seven. And then you've got a real close idea as to, in other words, nothing should be left to chance. And then of mm. course you go through peak week and yeah, there's, there could be a lot of manipulation through peak week in terms of water, volume, cardio comes down, uh, any supplementational changes. There can be a, there's a, there can be a lot to it. I would always suggest the goal is to change as little as possible because the more things that get changed, the more variables are moving around, the less yeah. you know what's going to happen. And, and that can then start to affect an individual in terms of their confidence walking on stage. Yeah. I'm curious, like when you're on stage doing the poses, are you like depleted of energy at that time since you're so low in body fat? Yeah. Um, you're full of adrenaline at that point. Okay. But I would suggest that, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's normally a blur, to be totally honest with you. You know, you get up on show day morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, hmm, okay, I need more food, I need less food. You should have a plan of what's going on. Maybe you've got to travel to the venue, maybe you're near the venue, um, you've got to get in, maybe any touch-up on tans before you realize it. If the show's, normally if the show's running smooth, you've kind of got a, maybe about an hour window where you think you're going to be on stage, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you're like, you're watching the, the other categories in front of you go on, and you're like, oh, it's going to be about half an hour. Then you might start... Um, so for me, I would start taking like a, a pump-based formula, which I would take every day in the gym, certain things to try and help volumize. Um, I would have a, a very sh small shot of vodka, which I don't actually recommend, but <laughs> it, do it doesn't like, it wouldn't, I wouldn't say it really hurts. It is just a bit of like, oh, fuck, it just kind of sort of gives you a little bit of a kick up the backside. It's, it, it helps me. However, the moment you do it, you just feel all the moisture disappear out of your mouth, so it's not comfortable. But then at the same time, I'd actually be drinking kind of, I'd mix it with full fat flat full fat Coke because you don't want anything gassy in your stomach. So I'd just be sipping. And it's not a lot, man. I'm just talking about a little amount. And then right. also I'd be sort of sort of gently eating jelly babies. So I'm just trying to put dripping a little bit of sugar in all this and pumping up. So now starting to drive all those things, not the vodka, right? But I don't really recommend that particularly, but obviously all the sugars and everything else you're driving into the muscle. So then as soon as you start to pump up and drive, you know, uh, volumization into the muscles, they 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 get pumped, right? And obviously you walk on stage, theoretically the leanest and the fullest you can possibly be. Mm. So of course you're trying to time all that, time all that, time all that, so it becomes perfect. So that's quite an anxious time. And then all of a sudden the next thing you know, you're stood beside stage and you know you're you're still maybe trying to pump up and you can see the 
the, the class that's on before you, that's when you realize how hot a stage is. If someone's yeah. never walked out on a stage before, under stage lights, it's hot. Um, and you can't see a lot. So you walk out and basically blinded by everything that's in front of you. So it's quite a, I mean, like the, I've been on a few stages and you know, with DJing standing in front of people, but it's quite disorientating walking out on the stage, knowing there's about two and a half thousand people out there watching you and six that you're trying to really impress. But it is disorientating because you can't see anyone. You can hear people cheering and are they cheering for you? Are they cheering for someone else? Does it even matter? Um, and then all of a sudden it's done. And hopefully you've done well and then off the back of the stage you go. And if you've done well, it's like it kind of obviously it's like euphoria for a little while because it's like you've just put 16 weeks of your life into this and there is more chance of not doing well than doing well, technically. Mm. Only one person's going to win. So most people are going to walk away disappointed. Uh, I walked away far more happy than I didn't, if that makes sense. I won more shows than I didn't, so I'm very lucky for that. But I don't re- haven't really walked away particularly disappointed. I think if I'd have carried on, that would have happened at some point. But it's it can be quite a, a nervy, anxious moment. Um, I'm <laughs> stick me in front of an audience, and I sometimes you know I, I quite like it. So eventually, I found out that I quite liked being up there. And you know, if you're confident, and you know you've done everything that you can do, then the showmanship comes out. And if you start yeah. to enjoy it, people can see you enjoying it, and that's what you've got to try and have happen when you're on stage. Yeah. For sure. You think it's a you think it's one of the hardest things you've ever done? I would cert- I would say the second the last prep I did um for the PCA show. Yeah. Poss- possibly yes. I've yeah, I mean a, 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 a random an average day. Um so I go to bed at maybe somewhere between nine and ten, shattered, exhausted, hungry, wanna eat, probably a little bit irritable. I would wake up what feels like hours later. And it would be about an hour and a half later. And I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, I need to go to the toilet. And I'd be like, and I can't go back to sleep. And it's like half 11. So I'd get back in bed, try and go back to sleep. And then I would probably wake up about every hour from there, um, just because sleep was so disrupted. And then it would get to about four, half four. And I'm like, well, sorry, I'll get up. So then I would get up, go downstairs, not have breakfast, drink a whole load of water, maybe some coffee. And... I used to live relatively close to my gym. So I'd be PTing at this point. So I'd have to open someone else's gym at six o'clock in the morning. So I would get up and I would put my food bag, a rucksack on my back. So it's full of food, full of water, change of clothes. And then my training bag would be hanging off the front of me. So that would be one <laughs> bag on the foot. And I would get out of my house and walk in the opposite direction to the gym. So I would then go and walk in a massive circle for 40 minutes, carrying these two bags with my hands up in the air, like trying to, you know, hilarious. and get into the gym sun's just about coming up. I'd get in. I think I would do a little bit more cardio on one of the stairmasters and then try and practice posing for 15 minutes. I'd then get straight into a shower, come out of the shower, have breakfast, and then wallop, client comes in. And they're like, oh, they're all happy. And I'm literally on the back end of the world, literally holding on to things to stop me falling over. I would then PT maybe three people. And by this point, I'm done. I I would go into the back office of the gym, take off my hoodie, roll it up and literally lie on a concrete floor and go to sleep for about half an hour, 40 minutes. Get up, two more clients would come in. The last one would be like, is this you done for the day? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm done for the day. I'm going home. And they'd be like, do you want a lift? I know you've walked. And I'm like, yes, please. Because honestly, at that point, I was, this is now... This is only like 11 o'clock in day, right? It's about 11 o'clock. I was so tired and delirious that I didn't trust myself walking home because I had two major roads to cross. And honestly, a couple of times I stepped out and I was like, whoa, I'm not paying attention here. And wow. after 16 weeks, you just, so I'd get a lift home. I'd go home. 
I would eat some food, go to sleep, get back up, walk back to the, straight back to the gym, train, walk home. And that was me. Like that's now maybe three, four o'clock in the afternoon. I would then try and maybe catch up on any work and then I'd get in bed by nine and then repeat the whole thing. That's 16 weeks over and over and over and over. And I got to the end where I, I'm young, yeah, basically shredded. And I took a picture of myself, my face. What, like, what happens is, is as you get really lean, you get what we would call death face. Like basically you just, everything sucks in. So you just, you just, you look like, you look like an addict essentially. And I have a picture of me two weeks out from the show and I, and I look like a heroin addict. I look like some, I, I look in a, I, it looks awful. If I could show it to you, I would, but it looks, well, I, my, in terms of physique, I looked insane, but in the face I looked. So what happened was, is I would start to not go shopping when other, like I'd go you know, grocery shopping. I would go when, at times when there were not people around because every now and again, I'd be out grocery shopping and someone I knew would walk around the corner and look at me and I could see on the look at their face. They were like, the hell's happened to you? They wouldn't know what I was doing. And they were like, oh man. And you could nearly see them recoil like they didn't know me, but they did. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is a problem. So I used to start going out shopping at like sort of, you know, once a week, 10 o'clock at night on a day when I didn't have to get up. So I didn't have to see people because I also couldn't hold a conversation with someone. This would have been literally impossible. My mind would just disappear into cotton wool land and I'd be like, I have no idea what I was just saying. And I, I I don't know, you know, who someone is and, so it's, yeah, <laughs> so putting it all into perspective, yeah, is possibly in terms of a, because also here's the thing, it, it hurts being that lean. Like yeah. it physically hurts. Like I, could, I struggled to walk barefoot on anything solid because I had no, no fat pads on the bottom of my feet. Um, sitting on something hurts because you lose, like literally my wife would cut my hair. She'd be like, you've got literally no fat on the back of your neck. She was like, it's weird. Like there's just nothing there. So mm. it would technically hurt. Um, so you're basically putting your, it's like, how long could you stand in a burning room? How you can stand there and it's hot, but you know that you could step out at any moment into the nice coolness outside and go and jump right. in the pool. It's like, you're just standing in this burning room for as long as you possibly can, enduring suffering imposed on yourself by yourself. You can end it just like that. That's the paradox. Like you're literally forcing yourself through. Uh, worse things happen to people. Let's be real. This is a first world problem. Right? It's a choice. There's way worse things happening in the real world to people on a daily basis. I you know, understand that. For sure. But in, but in that moment, you're like, I'm physically, mentally, emotionally, and psychologically done. I've got nothing left, and I've got three weeks to go. <sighs> what do I do? Oh, just keep going. Just keep going. Um, and, try and, not, and try and not ruin any relationships or business or anything else along the way. But, yeah, I'd say that prep is possibly one of the most challenging things I've ever done, for sure. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy, man. Now has, you know, doing those body bodybuilding competitions, has it helped you in business anyway? Has it transitioned to business in any way? I like that mindset. Yeah. yeah so, so both the credibility that it's given me as a coach, so people could look at me, you know, I, I did the best I could with the physique and body that I had. And I have a very average set of genetics apart from my calves, which are weirdly massive for no particular reason. I think it's because I have flat feet. So they, they have huge calves. Um, but aside from that, I'm completely average in terms of genetics. I just got the most out of what I had um, with the information and knowledge I had. Uh, so, so yes, I would suggest. I think if the vast majority look at my physique, it's it's above average. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's, it, I would hope it's above average, um, given that I've won shows. 
Um, so a lot of people will be like, yeah, that's, I mean, most people would call me a bodybuilder. I'm certainly not a bodybuilder. I bodybuild in the classification, but I'm not a bodybuilder on stage. I'm nowhere near that big. But, you know, I could coach pretty much most people around the world, certainly our demographic of, of person that we help, and they would look at my physique and be like, whoa, like it's, it's on a different level to where they think they could get to. So it's inspiring, sometimes even off-putting, but it's it's certainly helped me. It's also, I've put myself through it. I know what it takes to get to a point. So no one can BS me. Oh, this is too hard. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. You can you can do this because I can do this and there's nothing different for me about you. So it's helped me in terms of that. But then also, yeah, I mean, in terms of the mindset and growing the business, um, it's it's helped on multiple levels. You know, also when I bring in team members and coaches, um, that you know, they can look at maybe the things that I've achieved and maybe that helps inspire them. Maybe that helps drive them as individuals and also helps them have credibility in what you know we're trying to build together in terms of the company. I think the mindset in terms of there are lessons to be drawn and learned from from just just having a great physique, consistency, discipline, habits, daily behaviors. The parallels between that and running a company, being an entrepreneur, being successful, there are so many parallels. There are that it's essentially the same thing. It's just what is the habit? So, you know, a habit in terms of a, a physique might be drinking four liters of water. Well, a habit in terms of a business might be, you know, keeping an eye on the numbers. <laughs> There's the, the, the parallels are, are there and are plenty. So I think the lessons I've learned that I've pulled out of being a competitive physique athlete transferred immediately over into business. Yeah. And I, I, I've never even sat down to think of how many there are because there'll be, there'll be a lot for sure. Definitely. Now, I know you started with uh, sales. I was wondering, you know, what, what are some of the biggest things you picked up when, when you when you went into sales? Oh, goodness. Um, I remember the very first thing that I was taught by the, the chap that I mentioned was was facts and benefits, which is about the most basic thing. Like something has a something there is factually something about the thing that you are selling. And then there's the benefit to the individual. And I remember that took me so long to get my head around. And it's not necessarily something I really think that I use anymore. I think the idea to me about sales as such is trying to articulate the value of the thing to the person who might want it. That's it. I don't, I'm not, I'm never sitting there when I'm talking to someone who I think wants to come into the program and I'm thinking about selling. First of all, I'm thinking, can we help this person? Because if we can't, I'm not continuing this conversation in any way at all because I'm wasting their time, I'm wasting my time, and it would be disgenuous of me to do that. I, I, I think to myself, can we help this person get to their goal, probably past it, and can we make sure that they can stay there? That's it. I have, I have to get myself over that, that sort of questioning and that barrier before I will even continue a conversation. And then for me, in terms of you know, if someone's going to come into our program and into, into what we do, it's are we the right fit for them? And are they the right fit for us? Because, you know, someone might come in and go, I just want to do yoga and Pilates, Andy. And I'm like, well, we ain't going to be the people for you because that's not what we do. There's nothing wrong with that, but I know nothing about it. So we have a particular area of expertise, a particular of demographic of person that we are very good at helping, and we go looking for those people to help them. And sometimes when we find them, we're still not a great fit for them for whatever particular reason. But in terms of what we do, we're very, we're very clear about who we want to help and how we're best to do it in the model and the framework that we work. And when we find those people, it works. And I think for me, you know, that's 
if that's what selling is. I mean, I get off a lot of calls, and of course, we we deal with busy business owners, and a lot of people are like vice presidents of sales, and a lot of them will say, "Oh, you know, I, I would like to." Not congratulate you, but I'd like to, you know, say well done on your your sales technique. And I'm like, I don't really know what you mean. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, my goal is to articulate the program that we've designed for you in the best way possible, so that you could either see does this fit for me or does it not. And that's 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 sort of the way I I, I guess I, I tend to sort of think about it. Yeah. No, I love the way you put that. that that's that's great. Now, um, what is your strategy exactly on your, you know, your deliverable as far as, you know, how do you, how do you go about training someone? Is it different person by person or do you have like a set in stone plan? So ultimately it's always different person by person, but as a business, you have to have frameworks. You know what I mean? So, you know, so there are companies out there that are maybe supplying complete cookie cutter programs now. And everyone was like, ah, that, that's a massive problem. Depends who you're selling it to and depends who you're providing it to and whether that does fit them. For the person that we work with, everything is custom, but it's built off the back of a framework because as a business, we have to have frameworks. We have to have, you know, certain things are like, okay, so this person, we've got, we've got option A, B, C, and D. This person fits option, uh, option A, for example, but it's option A with these tweaks at the bottom of it. So there's, mm. that's, you know, and, and what could those options be? Well, let's say someone can only train twice a week, three times a week, four times a week, or five times a week. That's different options, different buckets where the person falls into. Someone who's training twice a week, we will use our twice a week framework and then, of course, manipulate that and and customize that into a way that fits the individual. Maybe they can't press above their head, shoulder problems. So automatically, we take our framework, we remove all those things from it and put things in that are suitable. So the whole thing will always end up being custom. And of course, same with food, probably more so with food. So... Our, our process is, 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 again, as streamlined as possible. When someone comes in, we, we want information. So we will draw out as much information in terms of a new client questionnaire and, a, and an on, a very detailed onboarding process to bring someone into our world as seamlessly as possible for them, right? as painlessly as possible for them. But there's, there's information that we have to have so that when we're building out a plan, and that's a plan of training, a plan of nutrition, a plan of maybe supplementational protocols, maybe not. A plan of accountability protocols, um, making sure that we understand their travel, their family, their their um, you know their the things they like to do, what they don't like to do, how many days can they train, how much time can they put into it, like what is the goal? We take all that into into consideration and then we just build out from that. And the interesting thing is, is quite often they might look quite similar, you know. Uh, what the interesting thing is, is many people are like, oh, my, I'm a complete individual. Yes, you are a complete individual. But there's also, they're the, they, they might be the very same as five other complete individuals that we're already working with. Because there's only, there's only so many ways to go around creating an amazing training structure. There's only so many amazing or viable movements to do. You know, I could come up with a thousand ways to do a certain thing. Five of them might be worth doing, you know? And so, a training plan from one person to another can look very similar. How we deliver it and how we get them to perform it is going to be very different because of the the level of skill the individual has. So, um, yeah, the whole thing's completely custom, but you know, built off the back of battle tested frameworks. I suppose is the best way to put it. Yeah, sure. Now, how important is diet? You know, compared to exercise, is diet way more important? What's what's your take on that? This is a good question because we've all heard, oh, it's all 80% nutrition, right? Now, if the goal was just weight loss, yeah, that probably rings true. Um, Basically, stop eating and someone will lose weight. 
but they're going to end up with a rubbish physique and rubbish health overall. I, I just tend to think it's 50-50, and people can argue with me all they like. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm wrong. But here's the thing. The training is the stimulus to tell the body to change, not really the food. The food is there to support the stimulus. A body changes to an imposed demand. Dieting is an imposed demand. Caloric restriction is an imposed demand. But what say we then go, hmm, how about we try and make sure we maintain our muscle mass as well? So therefore, training is the only thing that will maintain muscle mass. Walking won't, running won't, lifting weights and putting tension through a muscle, which essentially is sending that adaption signal to the body. I need this muscle. I need to perform this thing, and therefore I need this muscle to do it. The body's like, aha, I'll hang on to it then, which over the long term means we maintain muscle mass, which again, you know, in our 20s, that's cool. It's way more important when we get to our 50s and 60s because hopefully we're going to get there. And how about we get there with a body that's fit for purpose and not one that we're stuck in like a prison of a body and we're shuffling around in with bad joints and a poor metabolism. The things, the things that are done in your 20s, oh, I remember being 20, I didn't give two shakes about thinking about that. Here I am 44, halfway there, and I am thinking about that. And all the people that we help are very much like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm very successful, I've got a lovely family, I'm going to be retiring in 10 years, and I'm, I'm concerned I won't be able to do anything with my time because I haven't been doing anything for the last 20 years. So I would say that training is a dramatically important part. And the problem with training is most people go to a gym watch other people and copy what they do. So technically, that means the quality of training around the world is dire. Like the te te on a technical level, it's, it's awful. People are going into a gym and lifting weights and using machines, and they think that's the goal. It's not. That's what people need. That's what we need to do. But the goal is challenge muscles. We're going to use weights and we're going to use machines to do it, but that's not the goal. That's the vehicle to the goal. Challenge muscles. Build and maintain muscle. That can only be done by training. The, the the nutrition is what allows us to go off and do it and recover from it. Yeah, I got a good one for you. Um, if you could only pick four exercises that you could do for the rest of your life, what would they be? Oh, Matt. Okay, that's a that's a showstopper. Goodness. Um, so, okay, my logical brain goes this way. So we only really push and pull stuff. So four. Hmm. Okay. So some of these are going to be things that I probably wouldn't do, actually, um, because I have a herniated disc in my back. So there's some movements that I wouldn't possibly do. I probably So we need a big leg movement. Now, I personally, I would go with something like a leg press or a hack squat. But if, it was, if I had no herniated disc, I would pick a normal squat, probably. Okay, so a, a normal squat pattern of some sort. Personally, I would probably pick leg press. That's kind of legs kind of sorted. Right, three more. So now we need something that would be a back-based movement. So we can either pull something down, right, or we can pull something towards us, or or we can. It depends on what we've got available to us. Something that would allow us a larger range of movement to be able to work the lat and the back muscles across. A, goodness, that's really really difficult to pick one. It needs to be either a pull down or a row of some description. Something that angles across the two would be beneficial. Okay, that's back chest. Hmm. Some sort of converging chest press of some sort. It would be a machine for me, probably over a dumbbell, and it would be something that converges, so brings the hands together, so technically contracts the, the, the pec as hard as possible. 
I'm running out, aren't I? I've got I've done nothing arms at all so far. Um, yeah. And then probably, oh my goodness, oh man, this is really this is really hard. Four. Oh, so four would be a bit of a wild card. It either needs to be something that's technically a body part. I, t- I tell you what, four would be something hip hinging because so hip hinging would be like an R or well, could be a yes, could be a, dead, a. I mean, a deadlift would be a really good option. Again, I naturally steer away from it because of my back. Something hip hinging so that we're using our posterior chain. I would pro- a deadlift, yes, depending on how well someone performs the pattern, or an RDL or stiff leg deadlift. Why? Because over the long term, on a post- posture level, so because what we, I mean, both of us are sitting here in chairs. It's like the worst place we could sit. So I would then say something hip hinging because it's probably for health, <laughs> for kind of health and good glutes. <laughs> um, that's a really difficult question. It's like saying, what's your favorite, what is your favorite record ever? It's like, depends what mood I'm in, right? Yeah. It's Good question, man. You put me sure. on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Is there any exercises that you, th- you think people should just stay away from? Hundreds. 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 Yes. Um, well, first of all, whether it suits them as an individual or not, and suits their goal. There, there are only so many really good movement patterns there are only really so many worthwhile movement patterns. And then there are a whole bunch of stuff that people have just created off the back of that. So technically we're either pushing something away from us, pulling it towards us. Uh, they're the two biggest movements we have. If you really think about it, there are rotational things as well, but <clears throat> people then start to create variations on these themes. And that's great. Cause that's led us into some really awesome places, but it's also led us down some roads where it's like, you look at someone in a gym and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know why they're doing that. Now, they might be doing it because they're overcoming an injury or they've got a particular thing going on. So I I don't assume anything when I'm watching someone. But sometimes, I mean, sometimes I'll watch someone and think, wow, I don't know if they know what they're doing, but that's clever as heck, man. Like that, I can can see why they're doing it. And that happens loads and I love it. And sometimes I watch someone, I'm like, uh, more often than not, and I'm like, I do not know what they're trying to achieve with that. And I don't mean that disrespectfully in any way at all, but I'm like, I don't know. And it could be the way they're performing it, or quite frankly, it could just be the thing that they're doing. So the list of things that I would tell people not to do is far larger than the list of things I would tell people to do, for sure. Uh, what's your opinion on bench press? Because I know that's uh, like it's really tough on the shoulders. Um, I have nearly torn my pec badly twice bench pressing. I, I, so here's my, oh, here's my view on bench. If you, if you want to build a great chest, bench press is not the way to do it, in my opinion. It's horrific for it. If any any guy that you could ever walk up to who's torn their pec, the the 90% of them have done it on a bench press because that's where I nearly did mine. Um, it is not the best mass builder for the chest. It's the most risky. Um, I don't care whether someone says, well, it worked for Arnold. Well, yeah, you're not Arnold. So that argument's null and void. Um, there are far better ways. And again, interestingly, a lot of people will say, you know, what, what goals have you got? And they're like, oh, you know, I want to do 225 on the bench. And I'm like, but you want to lose 40 pounds of fat? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, so what's this bench press goal? Like, it doesn't mean anything. In some societies, there is definitely a, I need to bench this, squat that, deadlift this. I'm like, cool. Nothing wrong with that. It's kind of just like stripes on your shoulder. I personally don't go after any weight goals particularly i have i have done but i don't go after any weight goals anymore because technically the weight is not the thing that i'm interested in it's the result that the weight could give me and here's the thing at 44 and wanting to be able to train for the next 40 years of my life i'll get away with the least i can use 
How about that? Like, like mm. the goal is get the most out of the least. Now we all want to lift up heavy stuff. Like it's cool. It's cool. Like, but when you've hurt yourself badly once, suddenly you're like, hmm, I don't know if that was really worth it. And I think I, yeah. So I, I tore my right pec. Well, I, yeah, technically tore it twice. And when you've had that happen and you can't even turn the steering wheel of a car because it hurts so much, you suddenly change your opinion on a movement. So no, I'm not the biggest lover of bench press. I haven't done it for about 10 years. I'll never be doing it again. Uh, I don't program it for anybody that I have as a client either. Yeah. Um, have you ever been like an ego lifter in the past? Or like, what is your opinion on people that ego lift? Uh, I'm guessing I must have been at some point. In fact, I can yeah. definitely think in the first gym I went to, for, exa for example, I can remember I used to squat on a Smith machine and I remember squatting with four plates aside. So that's 20, mm -hmm. 40, 60, 80, that's 160 kilograms. So, yeah. 100, so 160 times <laughs> 2.2. So that's like 350 something pounds, right? And all I can remember is thinking at the end of it, it was like, I think my spine broke and my knees kill me. So I, then, but I don't think I knew any better. I didn't really mm -hmm. know any better at that point, but was that, so I don't know if it was ego lifting or just being dumb, I'm not sure. But I very quickly got out of that. My goal now is to challenge muscles. And what I do is as I progress training, there will come a point with a load where I'm like, hmm, this is really hard. I'm struggling, but I cannot feel what I'm supposed to be feeling while I'm doing it. And I'll normally bring the load down by 10%. I can perform it extremely well and I absolutely target the, the muscle that I'm after. That's just being, it's taken a while to get to that point and a lot of training. What, what are my thoughts on people that ego lift? Well, they, well, I don't think I have any thoughts. It will catch up with someone on its own eventually. I think, sadly, um, there's no, there's no benefit to it, but men mostly, I don't really see when, I don't know if I've ever seen a female, there must be, but I don't know if, you know, have I seen a female ego lift? No, they're normally so strict on form. They're on the other end of the extreme. Whereas guys are like, want to go in and, you know, go hard or go home. And there's that mentality. Yeah. It, it doesn't end up leading to actual gains and progress. It leads to very quick plateaus and an inability to get over the plateau and actually make damn progress forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Now, um, what do you have like a, a most memorable client story, like some 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 like profound story? Oof. Mm, crikey, a profound story. There's a lot I can think. Yeah. I don't. I'm. I'm. I would honestly say that no one person jumps out. I think if I was to go away maybe for a day and, and maybe look back through names, a name would jump out. Every client and their journey is, it, this sounds really cliche, but everyone is different. I could get nearly as much joy as a coach when a particular client suddenly says to me, oh, macros, I get it. Like for that person, that could be pivotal for them and mean everything to them. Or, you know, I've taken someone to, to their very first show and they've won it. And I'm like that's clearly pivotal for them. Both of those to me could be just as enjoyable as a coach. They're obviously yeah. completely different things, but when it comes back down to the individual, um, so, I mean, in, okay, if I was to think of one person, um, and she might hear this, uh, so there's one particular client who came into a fat loss challenge. So I used to do one of these fat loss challenges. Um, so she came into a fat loss challenge, did one, they were like a 14-day fat loss challenge. I think she did one. I think, then, I think I then ran another one six months later. She came into the second one, and uh, she did particularly well. And at the end of the second one, decided to come on as a client. And I'm like, cool. Okay. Not, at that point, normal client had no 
particular expectations of what was going to happen. And she did particularly well. And it got to the point where she's like, I'm like, I think you could probably do well if you get a show. And she's like, me? No. And so anyway, we started working towards a show and it was a, a, a sort of master's bikini show. And she, so she, she went from being a completely normal, I say normal, that's, I don't know what I mean by normal, but you know, normal person. And then going into a prep and doing her first show and absolutely slayed this prep, right? And I mean, so strict, so committed, went on to do the show, technically came second. Um, and I know this will sound biased, but she won the show. There's no question. She, like, if you looked at the, and this is no disrespect to the person who did win it, but I, I can't remember if the person who did win it, um, there was a connection between that person and possibly one of the coaches. I don't know. This is the thing about physique-based shows. Like, it's, it's, um, it's objective. Anyway, this particular individual won the show. Uh, well, no, sorry, this particular individual came second. But I think I remember as they called her name out for second, she, her face was like, gobsmacked like absolutely couldn't believe it whereas i was like well I, you know i thought she should have won it anyway at that particular point i remember saying i'm i'm looking for a coach to bring into the business you've done really well you get what we're doing here i'd love you to come into the business and coach she then became part-time at her job a great job paid very well she became part-time at that job part-time with us then came full-time with us that worked incredibly well then came the head coach of, of our fulfillment department and now runs the whole coaching and fulfillment department in the in the business. And her name is Shana. And she, if she's listened to this, she would have known that story from the start. If there's one person that stands out, not just because she's now head coach and I speak to her every day and she works in the business, it's it's it, it's 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 the it's the progression from someone who had I don't know any particular confidence in herself and what she was capable of to now being an absolute force of nature. Um, she's now off, off to do another show right now. I know she's going to do incredibly well. I think that's in September. I can't wait to see how she does. But it's it's that journey, that progression. If I look back over that amount of time, yeah, her her journey all will, will always stand out. Not only because of how it ended was you know her you know her coming in and ultimately running the fulfillment department. So you know she runs the whole department, and I, I it's in the best hands possible. Um, but when I think all the way back to the start to the fat loss challenges many, many, many years ago, even pre-COVID, I think, possibly, um, I would say her journey stands out, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that definitely does stand out. Shout out to her. Um, now, say someone was just getting started in the fitness. Um, what advice do you have to tell them, you know, when they're first getting started? Just simple advice. So in fitness, as in their own fitness, their own journey? Yeah, yeah. Um, goodness. So... Uh, all the basic stuff, set clear goals for yourself, understand where you're trying to go, understand the big goal that's obviously miles away, but don't just focus on the big goal. So that's, I want to have abs. I want to get on stage. I want to, I want to, whatever that might be, know what that is, but then you've got to, that's like the top of a massive set of stairs. If you only ever focus on that goal up there, you won't see the small incremental steps forward daily. So it's very easy to lose focus and never make it there. So what, like, imagine Rocky, remember the Rocky film, I think it's in Philadelphia or somewhere, he runs up the mm -hmm. stairs, right? All the kids yeah. are following. Picture that, so I'd say to someone, picture that massive set of stairs. If you were at the bottom and all you looked at was the top step, and each day you walked up one step, the top step never gets any closer, really, does it? It doesn't feel like it. So it's easy to get lost on the journey. What you should do is look down at each step. So each time you take a step, you're like, aha, forward, aha, forward. In other words, break the goal down into mini goals, whatever that might, and it could just be a mini goal is, 
I need to hit my water every day. So blimey, I've hit my water for seven days straight. I've never done that before. That's a massive win. Eventually, those wins become habits, behaviors, and lifestyles. That becomes momentum. Momentum will crush motivation. Never, ever, ever rely upon motivation to get you to goal because it's fairy dust. It doesn't exist. It's for kids. Get rid of it. Rely upon real world things. So habits, behaviors, lifestyle, momentum. Build those into your life. Just and be disciplined. Ultimately, you, whoever's listening, you need to do the work when no one's watching. Because quite frankly, no one else cares about your journey. Only you. No one else, no one else cares. So just do the work in the quiet. Stay true to the goal that you're trying to go after. Keep it simple and document stuff. You know, write down, become, become uh, the devil's in the detail. So make sure you're taking notes of the things that you're doing. How many calories are you eating? What's your body weight look like? Are you taking regular pictures? Are you tracking your training? Like get used to kind of delving down into the details. But ultimately, try not to just focus on the end goal. Try and focus on, hmm, I moved forward this week and celebrate that win and then just get slightly better and slightly better. And I know that's not a very technical answer because I could have sat here and talked about calories and this. Those things are important, but they will fall flat on their face if if this overarching mindset of how to build them into your life isn't there. So I guess that would be my answer. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, got a deep one for you. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? <laughs> Ask the right questions. Ask better questions. That is, I, I, I was taught this recently by a business mentor and great friend who lives two apartments sort of next to me. Um, and I think the saying is, genius is not having all the answers. Genius is asking the right questions. And the penny dropping of that is huge. Um, people will come up to me and are like, oh, so someone sent me a picture a few days ago. No disrespect to this person if they hear this. And it was a picture of, it was a picture of a screenshot of, I think they were doing, it was like dumbbell curls, four sets, 40 pounds, 12, 10, eight, six. And they were like, should I increase the weight on this? Okay, let's think of the question. Like, I'm like, I haven't got a clue, mate, is my answer. Ask a rubbish question, get a rubbish answer. Now, if he had said, what's your perspective on this? I've been doing this for X amount of weeks. This is my goal. I'd have been like, great question. And I'd have been forced into giving a detailed answer. Whereas he's like, should I up the weight? I'm like, I ain't got a clue, mate. And he's like, oh, I thought you were a coach. I'm like, I am. I could give you a very detailed answer. Ask me a better question. Never heard from him again. So the best, that is hands down, the best piece of advice that I try and live by every day. Ask the right, ask the right and better questions. You'll get better information back. Yeah, for sure. Mm, that's, that, that one hit. That one definitely hit. Um, so I like to play a game at the end of uh, every podcast. It's called uh, How Deep Will You Go? And basically, it's just a, f- a bunch of uh, fun questions. You down the play? Go on, then. <laughs> Sweet. Um, what has life taught you recently? Okay. Um, so I suppose most of the lessons I've learned recently are probably business related. Uh, nothing. Okay. So the first thing that's come to my mind is nothing's ever fixed. So, and that's probably in terms of business. Um, I've, and I, I, I've learned recently, I guess, that nothing's ever fixed. Nothing's ever done. It's certainly in business. It's not complete because as you grow a business, stuff breaks. 
And I think I've learned, and this is a hard lesson to learn because you'll work really, really hard on a particular area of business and, uh, and then something breaks and you're like, huh, what? I thought I'd sorted that six months ago. So I suppose the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned recently and I will now hold close is nothing's ever fixed. Yeah, it's just always evolving. There's always a better way to doing it. Basically, always yeah. better systems and all that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what is the most humbling experience you've ever had? Ever? God. Uh, on a second. Nothing's, nothing's jumping to mind, actually. And I'm not saying that hasn't happened. It would have happened many times. I'm trying to think of... Yeah. I'm trying to think of a pivotal moment when it's happened. I mean, I tried, I tr okay, this isn't really an answer, but I try to put myself in circumstances where I am far from top dog. I'm the small fish in the pond. And that's kind of always humbling. So my business is successful. It's a seven-figure business. It's successful compared to what, though? Successful compared to where it was last year or whatever. So I hang around with people that basically dwarf what I do. I, you know, I hang around with people that like, you know, they probably do what I do in a year in a month. Now, I don't feel humbled by that. I feel inspired and driven because I'm like, wow, if somebody can do that, why not me? And it's not just a monetary, monetary thing, but I suppose I, I, I think I naturally try to put myself in circumstances that are humbling because I would far rather be there than the, the big fish in the pond. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're the big dog at the table, you're at the wrong, you're at the wrong bloody table. You're at the wrong table because you're now not learning. You're now not being yeah. pushed forward. You're just swanning around like, look at me. So as soon as you're the big dog at the table, get off that table, go and find a table where you're lucky to be there. That's humbling, but then you learn. I, that's a rubbish answer. So it's not a technical answer of a particular moment, but I think I'm trying to do that all the time, actually. No, yeah, I love that. Um, when do you feel most at peace? <laughs> um... Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, possibly in the morning. I think I, I, have a, I have a phrase which is win the first hour. Um, and so I, li I live on Dubai Marina, which is I can walk all the way around the marina and back down the beach. And although I listen to music generally or podcasts while I'm walking around, I would say that moment where the day hasn't started. Yes, I get up and I look at all of my communication channels, which I would advise everybody doesn't do. But given I'm in Dubai and most of my team is either in the UK or the States, I have to get up in the morning and sort of see what's been going on. If it weren't for that, I mean, I get up and I think the morning, because um, I'll, I'll go, I'll walk for an hour and 10 minutes, come back, sit on my little balcony with the sun coming up and meditate for 15 minutes. And that has to be when I, I guess I get my most peace. Yeah. Sure. No, I love that. Yeah. Always nature, right? That walking yeah. nature. Well, yeah. And I mean, all, interestingly, so I, I sadly here, there's not a lot of nature interestingly when i explained the story about walking out of the house on the way to the gym and i used to walk away as i used to walk back to the gym i'd walk through a park and the sun's coming up in front of me and the sun would be coming up through a park literally nature trees and there'd be dew sort of sitting across and i can i can draw that image back to mind and that is something I don't even know if I can go as far as say it feels spiritual. There's definitely, there's deaf humans need to be in nature, green stuff, the smell of it. Um, yeah. So, you know, early morning walks when the sun is coming up through nature, that is, there's something pretty damn cool about that. Just as there is watching a sunset, like a perfect yeah. sunset, there's something mm. very peaceful and yeah, even spiritual about that for sure. Yeah. So simple. So natural. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree. Um, what is something you have been told that you will never forget? Uh, 
So this was nearly the answer I gave you for um, the ask better questions. I had one other thought in my mind, yeah. which was the the person, the gentleman um, called Tony, who was my first prep coach, um, who was also a Buddhist teacher. So interesting, interesting mixture of strength and conditioning coach and Buddhist teacher. Really interesting joining of things. And he taught me or told me many, many things, many, many things. I have a lot to thank him for. One of the first things that stands out is uh, the phrase, where the mind goes, the body follows. It has always been that way, and it will always be that way. That sticks with me, and I use that again for a lot of people because we, certainly in the world that I work in, uh, people are working on their physique, a huge, no, they're working on their physique all the time and spend very little attention working on the most powerful thing that they've got, which is their mind. Because mm. their physique will only go as far as their mind will push it or pull it or whatever that might be. So yeah, where the mind goes, the body follows, um, I guess is one of those things that someone said, to, or Tony said to me, and it's now etched somewhere in my brain. I will never forget it. Mm, yeah, that's great, man. Um, so where can we find you? Uh, can you shout yourself out if anyone's interested in your coaching? Yeah, on Instagram, all that stuff. Um, so obviously I can send you a link to put in your show notes. Um, if yeah, that's okay, we, we can pop sure. in there with, with, with information. Ultimately, we're on all social media cha- uh, social media channels. Um, so again, I can give you links to that and you can shove them in the show notes. But yeah, of course, we're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube. We'd actually, we've actually been really sort of putting a lot of attention into YouTube and sort of growing that with shorts and reels and things like that. And then mm-hmm. I do a huge amount of, uh, you know, on, on LinkedIn. So essentially either search Andy Naylor or Naylor Body Design on any of those uh, platforms and chances are you're going to find me. Normally, hanging around the color orange. Uh, because uh, one, I love the color orange and that's part of our branding. So generally if it's me and there's an orange background, good chances are it's actually me. Um, so it. you can go find us on anywhere. And of course, you know, we're, we're you know, sharing as much value and as information as we possibly can because the goal is help people. And of course, you know, again, if someone wants to get in contact and, and find out more specifically about we can help then of course, those social media platforms have the ability to, to book calls with us. And again, I'll, I'll send you something um, so you can put that in your show notes. But yeah, any any of the social media platforms, um, you, can, you can find us on by, by searching my name. Perfect, man. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been an honor. Uh, you definitely gave us a lot of value today, man. So thank you so much. Oh, dude, pleasure's all mine. Um, I, you know, it's been it's been great, man. And I, I hope that it, it gives a little bit of insight and a little bit of help. And uh, yeah, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man. Great getting to know you. All right, guys, take care.